0: Welcome to Last Ones at the Bar, an equity first boxing podcast where we discuss all of the important I'm affairs in the sport of boxing. My name is Wilton Henry, and I'm joined by Daniel Lee and the leader of the HM, you know, the haters, you know, <laughs> mafia, you know, coalition, Lavelle Jackson. Everything good,
1: fellas? <laughs> yeah, everything good. If you want to call me that, that's fine. Oh,
2: yeah. man. Either, that remind me of that. That you know that Chappelle skit with the, with the haters ball, right? Right, right, right. So now I'm yeah. envisioning, I'm envisioning a veil in a suit,
1: you know what I mean, <laughs> with, with the other haters from across yeah. the country. You feel me? <laughs> yeah. you know, call, call what you want, but you know what? I'm going, I'm going, right. I'm going to yeah. ride. I'm going ride
0: you're gonna ride. You're gonna ride. You're gonna ride. Yeah, man. You you fellas got anything um, special for this weekend? Are you off tomorrow?
2: This is actually going into the last week of our busy season because you know it's the end of the fiscal year. So uh, this entire week, I'll be the, the exact opposite of off. But next week, though, next week, oh. I'm going to take it at least Monday and Tuesday off because I need a break, bro.
1: Yeah, I'm with you, Danny. It's in yeah, the fiscal year, so it's like all this stuff and evaluations and stuff that has to get done. So it's like, yeah, hey, I, I feel the same.
0: Yeah, that's going to be an interesting week for me because um, I got two days of where I'll be in the building. But we're off tomorrow for... Uh, Rosh Hashanah, which is mm-hmm. the start, start of the Jewish New Year. Um, you know, for some people who don't know that what they'll be celebrating is 5,783 years since Adam and Eve were created on the sixth day of creation. You know, it's a two-day celebration from Sunday to Tuesday. So we'll, we'll take off. Um, you know, I'm not Jewish or anything like that, but I do respect some of the customs that they have and um their religion you know and it's supposed to be a celebration of humanity and how much a person can you know do for the upcoming year you know to make it better you know make it a better place and so i'm all for it man you know like i said i won't necessarily be celebrating um but i'll definitely take the day off you know sit back and kind of reflect you know have a spiritual realignment you know if you will And so, uh, yeah, I get an extra day off, so I'm looking forward to that. Now, um, as far as what we'll be discussing today, it should be a short podcast. we got a couple of fights that we're going to recap, and then we'll call it a day. But before we get started, you've had some interesting things that have been going on in the news, and one of the things that happened this week out of nowhere, we heard the news about Emmy Yudoka, who has been suspended from the Celtics for one year for violating a policy where he allegedly had a consensual at first, or initially it was a consensual relationship, but it was also an inappropriate relationship with a female member of their staff, uh, which is a violation of team rules. Um, you guys have any thoughts on that?
1: Real issue I have with it is how publicized it's been, is that it's out here and the media is running with it. and It's not like, I mean, this is—it's not like uncommon or anything. I mean, he broke the rules. You know, people break rules at work all the time, and they get punished for it. The only issue is, is how the media's around with it having their opinion on, like, oh yeah, you're cheating on the Long or whoever. We don't know what went on in any relationship, or in their relationship, or the relationship with, between Adoka and uh, the young lady. We don't—we don't know that, uh, and I think it's unfortunate for the media to really. Um, highlight that and not highlight things like, you know, Brett Farr bezeling millions of dollars uh, from the Mississippi welfare system. So, if there are parameters and rules set up beforehand and he broke those rules, that's fine. But to publicize it and make him out to be some type of bad guy or martyr or something like that is bad taste to me.
2: It's hard to really have a informed opinion without all the information. What I do know up to the point that i read is that there are multiple violations um it is probably worse than what we know and whatever happened was bad enough for an organization based on their internal policy to suspend a coach that had them within two games from an nba championship for an entire year could the celtics have handled it better definitely but in an effort to play devil's advocate, they had conducted a private third-party investigation months ago, which nobody knew about. And based on that investigation, you know, the news broke. And then once the news breaks, at that point, the train is going 100 miles an hour. You can't stop a train going that way. But, you know, it's just an unfortunate situation all around. That's all I'll say. Yeah, initially, when I heard about it, I
0: was like, what? Like, you get suspended for that? You know, a consensual relationship, you know, uh, regardless if it was a staff member or not, you know, even if that's a policy that you would have a suspension that lengthy. That's the first thing that I was thinking. But since then, there's been more information that has been coming out. um, And there are certain allegations. And if those allegations are true, then it makes more sense. And One of the allegations that I heard um, was that they were saying that he was involved with a senior VP wife. And what happened was, was that after they were having the affair, that she, her husband started to find out some things. So she was trying to push away, like, no, we can't continue to do this but he continued to pursue her so it makes a little bit more sense now than it did before as far as the length of the suspension but the suspension still is something I'm with with Stephen A. Smith when he says that you either let the dude go or you handle this internally it it makes more sense to do that because the suspension how is this going to is he that valuable to the Celtics that you are willing to go through this soap opera that long? Because it's going to be questions about this over and over when his name comes up. And it's not going to get any better once the season starts next year. It's like you're going to have the same, you're going to the same can of worms next year. And I don't know if some of the other men will be comfortable with this coach around their wives. And then also... You have the players like they may, I don't know, professionals and whatnot. It it could go either way with them, but I'm just saying, like I just think from the Celtics' standpoint that you know you would just be better off letting the guy go if it's that serious. I was just surprised too at the press conference the way Brad Stevenson or Stevens was conducting himself. I'm like, dang, was it his wife? You know how how sad and and uh, distraught he was about the situation, or is the situation? That bad, you know, but it's just a lot of information that has been left out that we really don't know. All right, now getting off into you know this week in uh, a boxing, I think we can start off on Friday. You know, you had one of the top young guns in boxing, Shakur Stevenson. He was taking on 2016 gold medalist Robson Kinsasi out on ESPN um, out there in Newark. Veil, I know you you took a look at that fight. You like them Friday night fights. Uh, what did you think about Shakur?
1: Oh yeah, I thought it was a masterful performance. Uh, I thought Shakur. I really did think that Casasayo would give him, you know, a little bit of trouble because of the the, the Olympic pedigree, but I, I think it was a few rounds where I, I could see the, the skill that Casasayo had, you know, but he was just a step behind. I think Stevenson really won this fight off a. Of, uh, he had speed. He had sharpness, and mostly his uh, reflexes. I mean, he's, as far as coordination and putting everything together, you know, whenever Preston Syle would go for those counters after Stevenson would get off, Stevenson would just take, you know, it, it would be a simple step, but his whole body would move a little bit. He, he's just so subtle that his skill is just there. And I like that Stevenson start start to uh, go downstairs and, and, and throw some hooks, then th- go upstairs. I think he put... Kinsasio down with a with a a left to the body. Um and then once Casayo got up, I think it was the I think it was around six, uh Stevenson started to bring him up. And it was a time period in this fight where I thought that Stevenson would step it up uh and stop him. Um but he, he kind of did, he kind of didn't. He fizzled out, you know, in the in the uh latter half of the fight. And Stevenson stated that Kinsasayo just wanted to survive in the last part of the fight. Uh, that that was the case he really did, but it was a it was a great performance by Stevenson. I think he's just very skilled. We'll talk about it later, but this is obviously his last fight at at uh one thirty and and that's the only problem I had with you know him in his fight. But we'll talk about that later. but I thought it was a master class. it was a great performance over a uh olympian, probably the best opponent he could probably get at one thirty right now uh so we're looking forward to you know better fights and better challenges for him. Yeah, his
0: homecoming fight for Stevenson, you know, it was the first time that I saw him be that aggressive just out the gate. You know, Consatio, he dug to the body early. But Stevenson, he was just more precise and compact with his punches. He's just a better fighter all around. He just does things better than uh, ropes ropes and Consatio. Stevenson was able to disrupt Consatio's rhythm, you know, with those sharp punches, that jab, and then – out to me was just a little too predictable because he constantly just threw that loop in right hand. That's what he was trying to, you know, get home um each in every exchange. That's what he was trying to throw. Now, between rounds one through four, I thought that that it was a close fight. It the fight played out exactly how I thought it was going to play out. Kinsesial provided a stiff challenge, like for the first four rounds. And then once Stevenson got the knockdown in the fifth, I knew that. It was going to be a long day for the rest of the fight for Kasey. I thought that Stevenson had an opportunity to close the show around the seventh round. You know, I, I honestly thought that after the seventh round, I was like it's pretty much going to be over with. But you know, Kasey was crafty. You know, he's he skilled, um, and he was able to make it make it through uh, the rest of the fight. And then he maybe even won the eleventh round. You know, rounds five through twelve, he, he was losing. Probably, like I say, all of those rounds, with the exception of the 11. I thought it was a a good win. It was a pretty good win or even a great win for the kid from Newark. Um, But what I did notice is this, is that Casey Al was able to hit Shakur the most with bigger shots in that fight than I've seen him against all of the other fighters that he's faced. But again, Stevenson was more more, – Aggressive, you know, against him than he was against any other opponent that I've seen. Not necessarily in certain parts of fights, but throughout the fight, he was the aggressor. Um, but it could have been the fact that he's looking at Kinsasia as not being that big of a puncher. He's fighting at home, so he wants to put on a show. So it's added pressure there. But when you look at the punch stats, the punch stats just show that how dominant Stevenson was. And so he landed a total of 199 punches to Casasio, 60 out of uh, 531 punches thrown by Stevenson and 483 by Casasio. And Stevenson landed at a 38% clip, where Casasio only landed 12% of his punches. A few other things that I, I would add as far as the punch stats is he dominated the jab category, 47 out of 211, Casasio only landed five out of 190 or 104. And then the power, power shots 152 out of 320, that's a 48% ratio. And then Casasio 55 out of 379, he only landed at a 15% um, clip. So dominant performance, Uh, like I said, the only thing that I was surprised about was the way that um, the amount of times that I was able to land some of those big right hands, um, but it it didn't do any damage or anything like that. But I also was impressed at the way Stevenson was able to dodge and move out of those punches with his great reflexes. So all in all, you know, a great win for the kid. Look forward to see what he's going to do in the future.
2: Yeah. I don't have much else to add other than what you guys said. You broke it down nicely. It pretty much went more or less the way I thought it would. Consatial, he fought kind of awkwardly and with a lot of heart, but he was just outmatched. Um, Shakur, maybe he's just going to have one of those careers where people are just going to constantly critique him not having power or people say that. And that'll probably be even more so when he moves up to lightweight. But if he continues to win like this, that's all you'll really be able to say. Consecial was arguably his toughest challenge, like all of the tough challenges at the 130-pound division, Shakur overall passed those tests with flying colors. And so it's like, what else could you have wanted from him, you know, other than maybe a knockout? Like you said, he got caught flush a little bit more than I had anticipated, but I think that's a testament to Kasesias class, and I guess maybe a learning curve with Shakur being as aggressive as he was too. But mm-hmm. say what you want about it, you know, a lot of the guys he's going up to 135 to fight wouldn't have taken on Kasatiao at all. So I thought it was a good win for him. Uh, I hope he gets to fight for one of those, in terms of Kasatiao, I hope he gets a fight for one of those vacant titles again before his career is over because he does deserve to be a champion. And I think that he'll still be kind of at the top of those divisions anyway, so hopefully next year he'll be able to fight for those. But I'm excited to see... If he gets one of those marquee matchups for Shakur, I'm excited to see what he does at lightweight. Any of you guys have anything on the fight itself? Anything else?
0: Well, what I, what I, what I would say is this, is that for Shakur, it's the danger doesn't lurk at 130 as it does at 135. When, he, when, he, when we start talking about the 135-pounders, those guys can put your lights out. And I don't think he's faced a guy, maybe Valdez, but sometimes when I see, with the exception of the Burchot fight, I never looked at him as just like a one punch guy. But some of those dudes at 135, that, like I said, they can they can clean a plot if you're not careful. And so that's the only thing, you know, as far as the 130 pound fighters that he's faced so far, you know, for when he moves up. You know, that's something to, to ponder and think about and consider. Before we get to you know his potential opponents at 135 uh, what did you guys think about the events on Thursday when Shakur was unable to make weight
1: it was surprising to me considering you know this is a guy who is you know pound for pound talent uh, of course he's big for the weight but it's, it's not like he spent his whole career at 130 he was just at featherweight not too long ago or maybe he's growing fast, kind of like similar to Oscar De La Hoya, when De La Hoya was rising from 130 to 140, 135 to 140. But at the same time, it's like, um, one thing that struck me that I thought that that surprised me was that he he came in overweight. It was like, I think it was uh, 1.6 pounds overweight and he never went back to try to make the weight again. He says he, you know, he tried, he can't make the weight. I've been watching a lot of boxing for many, many years. I've seen a lot of weigh-ins. I've seen a lot of Drain fighters. He didn't look like, you know, he was going to be on the IV. You know what I'm saying? So then considering that Casasiao uh, is uh, also a big guy who successfully made the weight, and I kind of felt bad for Casasiao, and I was thinking right before the fight, like, Casasio could have just took his money and went home because the parameters of this contract stated that uh, if Stevenson couldn't make weight, Casasiao could still keep the titles Uh, He still gets paid, number one. He keeps the titles and he can can go home. And I think that would have been one of the best case case scenarios for Casasio if he would have took it. But Casasio is a warrior. He had to fight it out. So I don't know. If it was me, I probably would have took the money. (laughs) But, hey, that's just me. But I thought thought it was, you know, it it, it wasn't the most classiest move on Stevenson's part. I'm still a Stevenson fan, but it just – I don't know, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. that he. It's not that he didn't make the weight, it's that he didn't even try to make it the second time. You know, it's just unprofessional.
0: Yeah, I was a little agony, you know what I'm saying? A little, a little upset. He kind of triggered me this weekend um, to start off with him not making weight. I didn't expect it because when I heard the lead-up to the fight, he was talking about how this was the best camp he had, that he was ready to rock and roll. And I just, it came out of left field because I never experienced him being unprofessional uh, showing a lack of discipline when it comes to fighting now i've seen him a couple times where he may you know somebody need to pull his coattail like if he check his twitter or something like that and i don't check his twitter but i've seen people who make comments about things that he put on twitter and so i'm like a little you know he might need his, his, his coattail pulled a little bit somebody need to You know, one of the OGs need to go ahead and talk to him, you know, about the the, the way you need to conduct yourself as being one of the top fighters in the world. You know what I mean? Um, I've seen that. But as far as when it comes to just fighting and, you know, what the kid brings to the table, I thought he was, you know, on an up and up. And I I never, you know, seen that side of him being like a Benavidez in the past when he was missing weight, um, having issues outside of the ring, things like that. I hadn't seen that with your Shakur. So now, so if initially I was aggy. I was upset. I was frustrated. I was mad. I'm like, man, like we got one of the top dudes and he's doing this type of stuff. These young chumps, like they just messing things up. You haven't gotten to that point yet where you a recognizable name and household name and, and, and everybody's, you know, conversations when they talk boxing. So you you can't do this right now. You should be doing that ever. You know what I mean? Like I don't see Canelo missing weight. I don't see... uh Manny Pacquiao, you know, just any of the upper echelon guys. I seen Floyd miss weight one time, but it was more strategic than it was actually him missing weight. It was the fact, oh, okay, you just, I just got to pay that. You know, I'd rather pay that than go ahead and try to drop the weight. You know what I mean? But by that time, he was already Money Mayweather. You know what I mean? And he made a strategic move. But like I say, Shakur is not in that situation. Now, when he explained himself and he had a sincere, you know, apology... It made sense, you know? And I was like, okay, if that's what it is, then that's what it is. But you just can't do it anymore. You know, moving forward at these other weight classes that you fight, I don't want to see this happen again. I don't want to see any other lack of discipline, unprofessional thing coming out of Shakur because it just leaves a bad taste in your mouth. It may not be for like a younger generation. I had a conversation with this dude earlier about hip hop and just the conversation that we was having, it seemed like, I left the conversation where I was like, well, we, you know, going to agree to disagree. You know what I mean? Like lyrics do matter in hip hop to me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, you can ride a beat all you want to. You got to be saying something for me to want to go ahead and listen to it again. So in this situation, if people just want to see a great talented guy who can fight no matter if he makes weight or not, or he does things in an unprofessional manner, then maybe that's just where we are in a sport of boxing. I don't know. I don't like it. And I never will like it because I know the breaks wouldn't have, you know, they don't do that, at least not on a consistent basis. Hopefully it's more just a blimp in the road and he's not necessarily just being a diva or a prima donna. Like you said, Vel. looked like the kid could have just went somewhere and dropped a few pounds because he, he didn't look like he was anywhere near being drained or anything like that. But like I said, he made a sincere apology. So right now we all make mistakes and hopefully this is that one mistake that he made and he'll, continue to be the Shakur that we he always has been with the exception of not making weight in this fight.
2: Yeah, that's where I'm at with it pretty much. Uh I guess first I'll address him not trying to make the weight the second time. You know, these boxers go through hell to try to make weight. And he had said a few weeks ago and we talked about it, he was going to see how his body responded to the weight cut. And based on that, he might move up to 135 sooner than we thought. And so I'm not in that man's camp, but it's possible that maybe if he would have came in at, say, a 130.4, maybe he goes back in and, you know, let me see what this sauna talk about, and then try to make the weight or something like that. But when he came in that heavy, I never had to make weight. But if I were to make weight, and if I know that I'm on my way out of the division, I'm going to say, if I'm already on my way out, I would rather just come in healthy than to try to kill myself to try to drop that 1.6 pounds in another, what, two hours. So given the context of it, I understood where he was coming from. Like if he had a future at 130, okay, but you are almost two pounds overweight. I understood and in terms of the actual act of it, you know, he said he gave it his all and his body didn't respond. He took accountability for it from where I sat. You know, it happened. His future was decided at that point. Like, OK, this is what my body is telling me. My body is telling me to move up the lightweight. It would have been nice to see him leave the division with the belts intact, but it doesn't take away to me what he did in a division or to Casasiao, who was a three-time Olympian and a gold medalist. But, yeah, maybe maybe I'm just biased, you know, to Shakur, but I didn't really care that much in this instance. When he wins belts at 135 and probably 140, I don't think a lot of people will look back at this, and I don't think they'll care. There's plenty of boxing fans who did care about this, and they're well within their right to care. Like, you're more than welcome to care. I'm going to just take my care elsewhere because it's already done. It already happened. He seems to have accountability for it. And he'll be at the next weight class. You guys got anything else?
1: Yeah, I, I, I can't, yeah. I can't, I can't, I can't, because this is why, and this is why. I get it, you know. I, I don't have to make weight, so I don't understand how hard it is, you know. Um, but at the same time, you, I, I look at guys like Bernard Hopkins, who spent pretty much first half his career, probably two thirds of his career, at middleweight. And he never used to. He never. Miss weight, you know what I'm saying? A tall middleweight too, six foot one. He, he had a long frame, right? When when the, when the Oscar De La Hoya fight was made, it was made at weight at 158 because De La Hoya thought he wouldn't make weight. He came in at 156, you know what I'm saying? So it's it's, it's a discipline thing. And Then I want to bring up another fighter for a particular reason. He saw this this fighter still always get a lot of flack for being undisciplined, and that was James Tony. James Tony again, never used to miss, when he used to weigh in at middleweight, you know what I'm saying, when he was walking around at 200 pounds, never used to really miss weight like that, you know what I'm saying, once he started, like, really, you know, growing, that's when he started to move up a little bit, um, so it's like, fighters make weight, it's a, it's, it's a lot of fighters who dealt with what he's dealt with, but they still made weight, you know, I mean, a lot of drain fighters, so that's kind of where I'm coming from, it might seem like a, a, you know, almost two pounds, but that two pounds could have made him you know, five to 10 pounds heavier than Casasio on fight night. And that's what I look at when it's, in terms of, Casasio probably could have been dealing with the same thing, but he decided to be professional and make that way anyway. And, and you know, not eat that extra burrito two weeks going in a fight. You know what I'm saying? That's what I look at.
0: Well, what I was going to say is this, is that, again, I'm, I'm fine with his explanation of what he said. Um, because this is a one time thing. Moving forward, I don't want to hear this again. But part of me is, in Bill is going back to guys like Hopkins, you know, who was always, you, you can always count on him to, you know, be disciplined. That's like being at work, like people who come on time, you know what I'm saying? Like you, you're there you, on a consistent basis, you signed up for this. As opposed to somebody who's always late, like, they text it, um, "Can you do this for me?" Because I'd be about fifteen minutes late. The ETA is telling me, "Like, dude, come on, man, like, damn, you know." And I look at, and I don't, we don't even have to go back to be hot, but that's a good example, though, Bill. Devin Haney, Devin Haney, he could just easily be like, "I beat that dude." you know, says I can go ahead and go up to 140 now. Or I don't necessarily have to come in that way, but you know that Devin is going to be disciplined enough to do what it is that he signed up to do. And then in addition to that, the professionalism is not only the fact that you just sacrifice it to make that weight, but the other guy. You know what I'm saying? Like y'all signed a contract to be at a certain weight. So how much of a disadvantage is that dude going to be going through? Because he's actually the one who made all of the sacrifices, but you didn't. And it's like, you know, that's what irks me a little bit as well. But again, the kids had a sincere apology. He said the reasons why he was unable to make weight, I'm going to take him at his word. I just don't want to hear that excuse again. Now, nah. yeah, the last thing that uh, I'm going to ask regarding Shakur is his move up to 135. Who do you guys think has the best chance of beating um, this sensational talent and Shakur
1: Stevenson? Yeah, great question. The guy I think that can, has the best chance of beating Shakur Stevenson is Rolando Romero. He gonna stop Stevenson with one of those shots. And is Stevenson <laughs> gonna get knocked out. Now nah, I'll just mess with y'all. I see Will's face right there through the screen.
2: No, I I'll play. be like, I can edit it out, <laughs> bro, if you want to.
1: <laughs> so so I, I have a list, you know, it's interesting because I have to really like rank these guys cause, cause 135 is 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 a pretty you know talent talented division the only one I am comfortable with putting on is with really rating him on his list was TFM Lopez because obviously Lopez is like I'm never going at 135. But the person I see has the most chance of beating him and I'll explain why they do. In my opinion I think Tank Davis has the best chance of, of upsetting Steve. first off I don't think any of these guys can beat Stevenson to me personally. I think I would favor Stevenson overall. all But if I had the, to rank him, you know, in order of who has the best chance, I'll start with Tank Davis because Tank Davis has something that a lot of those guys don't, and that's a racer type power. Plus he doesn't get a credit for his boxing ability. Now we, we, we've all been critical of Jermonte Davis and his, uh, you know, his choice of opponents and things of that nature and not challenge himself and all those things. But I, I can't get over some of the stuff I see in Davis, which is he does have boxing ability. He is patient. I can see Stevenson actually winning this fight and Davidson just lining them up, you know, and and because Stevenson it can be hit, even though it's hard to hit him. He's, he has superb defense, but he can be hit. And I think Tank Davis has one of those left hands that can – Plus you know, being, you know, they're both will be southpaws. I think that can, they kind of cancel each other out out a little bit. And I think that's where uh, either won't have that softball advantage. So Tank Davis, I have number one. Number two, uh, I'll I put Devin Haney there. I think Devin Haney has a lot of things that, that skills that help him, you know, in a possible fight with uh, Shakur Stevenson. Thing is, I, I can't really think, outside of having a possibly better jab. I can't think of anything that Devin Haney absolutely does better than Stevenson. You know, I I think Stevenson, to this point, I think he's shown uh, probably a a better chin. I do do think Devin Haney moves a a little bit more around the ring, more than, than, not saying he moves better, but he moves around the ring more than Stevenson. I think that would give Stevenson a lot of trouble because Stevenson would have to track him down. But on the flip side, I am at 135, I don't think – I'm not sure if Haney has the power to really, you know, make one-shot count on Shakur Stevenson. Now, this fight was at 140. Devin Haney is one of those guys I think is will get stronger as he progresses. I think he's kind of draining himself. I think he'll be, actually be stronger at 140. I really do. Uh, then, number three, I think Ryan Garcia, based off of the speed that he has. I mean, even though I think that Ryan Garcia – you know, he can be caught between shots. And I think Stevenson, as he grows, may, ha- may grow into his power a little bit more and may have one of those accurate shots to catch uh, Garcia off guard and sleep him. Uh, so I- I'll put Garcia at number three. And number four, I'll put uh, Loma Chico. Loma Chico is kind of the last on my list, I think, because Stevenson is a lot longer than Loma Chico. And he can do a lot of things that Loma Chico can do as far as angles and things of that nature. Uh, and he's fresher, He's younger. He can, he can move better and, and he's riding high with confidence. I think that Stevenson will, will most likely win that fight the easiest out of all of them.
0: There's an old um, cowboy saying, there never was a horse that couldn't be rode, or a man that couldn't be thrown. I think that's the case. I have to see more of Shakur Stevenson. I think that he's the most cleanest out of the guys that you mentioned where when he fights against the opponents that he faces, he doesn't lose rounds as much as the other guys may lose rounds. But that doesn't necessarily mean when he matches up against those other guys that he's going to be looking the way he's faced or that how he's looked when he's faced the guys that he's fought so far. I think that when you talk about the Haney's, um, when I I just look at the 135-pound division, one fighter that I think, that he would easily defeat who they consider one of the top guys is Campbell. Think that he'll he'll box circles around him. But with the other guys, I think that the jury's still open. See, I don't know what Shakur is going to look like at one thirty-five because I don't. He hasn't really been tested like he will be tested against those guys. And one thing I do see about Shakur slightly. You know, people talk about the power. I don't necessarily worry about that as much because when you're a highly skilled fighter, you just have to have enough to keep somebody from just being overly aggressive. You know, if you can just make... make, It's like when uh, Michael Spinks was fighting Larry Holmes. He said that when he moved up to the heavyweight division and he was able to get that victory being a light heavyweight champion against a heavyweight champion for the first time in history... He said the first thing that he was looking for is that when he threw his right hand, he was looking to see what Holmes' reaction was. He said when he threw it and he ended up, Holmes closed his eyes to brace himself. He said, I, he said, I got him. I know I can win because that's all he wanted to make sure because then my faints are going to work. I can sh- use my overall skills. And that's what a boxer is looking for, not necessarily just having that monster power. Now, the lack of power Eventually may catch up to you because you might have a lot more miles on the meter than the other other guys who can, you know, stop things early, where you just always having these 12-round fights, 12-round fights, that's a lot of wear and tear on the bicep, a lot of miles on the on the odometer. But now, as far as these guys at 135, again, I don't know what secures his what he's how he's gonna be able to fare. The later part, the latter part of the fights at 135, he just hasn't, what the fighting Marine was trying to do, what Valdez couldn't do because he just didn't have the skill and They're thinking is that I'm going to turn this into a dogfight against this dude and eventually I'm going to break him because, but he does can't do it because of the fact that he gets tired after four rounds or he, his game plan is, is no longer there after four rounds. He might have enough energy to survive the fight but he's definitely not going to be able to be disciplined uh, physically enough to be able to compete against the the, the tougher guys. So therefore I couldn't tell you, I can tell you who's going to be tough. That's going to be Haney. I think Lomachenko is going to give him some problems because Lomachenko is just highly skilled. And again, you're fighting against fighters that he hasn't faced before. He got a pretty decent resume for 130 but 135 is a whole different sandwich man you know what i mean so tank davis he has that that power ryan garcia has power and even pitbull cruise i think pitbull cruise would be a tough fight because he's just a little pitbull waller that's going to be coming at you that's strong and he's going to be doing it from round one through round 12 so i think that that could be a tough fight you know as well so i don't know who will be the toughest but i do know that at 135 as in comparison to 130, danger is going to lurk in each and every one of those fights with the exception of Haney when it comes to power and being able to fight somebody who may be able to put your lights out in any given moment. But I like, you know, what I see. I just hopefully, I think probably some of those guys he won't even see because they're going to be gone by the time he, you know, actually starts to make his way into title contention. I don't see Haney being there. I don't see... Uh, Ryan Garcia being there and so that leaves Cambosis maybe because he's a big guy that leaves Lomachenko if he's still around and possibly Pitbull Cruz so we'll see but I, I like all of those fights man I want to see them
2: yeah timing is for sure key to be real with you um, I talked about it a few episodes ago because I could see 135 for him looking like 130 did in terms of who will be left there for him Now, I'll entertain a few of these names. I'm not going to entertain Garcia because I'm going to take it at his word. He's moving up to 140. So there are only three currently who have a chance to me. Haney, Loma, and Tank. I'm going to take Camboso's at his word, too, because Cambosos said if he loses this fight, he's going to retire. Which I don't know why he would do that to himself because I don't know what you're going to do different than you did the last fight. So happy trails to you, my guy. So, yeah. (laughs) Right. Um, so with the three who are left tank, he's up there, right? Cause he, he has that equalizer and Shakur can be caught flush. Like we saw in the last fight, but one thing is he's PBC and Shakur is top rank and he's promoted by Mayweather. So I don't think that happens. And another thing is to me, tank, he's content losing too many rounds for me to confidently say he really won that fight without a knockout. And how flush could he catch the core, you know? And I I look at it like this. When you're in school, you have two types of people, basically. You have the type of person who, like, stays on top of their work. And so, you know, when a big test is coming up, they've already stayed on top of their stuff to the point where they don't have to study as hard. And, you know, more like those people who are prepared, they're going to do good on the test. And then you had a person who, you know, they kind of procrastinated to the night before. You know, they worked better under pressure. And so when that test comes, they're going to kill themselves the night before, but they're going to get the job done. Tank, to me, has shown that in the biggest fights, he does what he has to do to get the jobs done. But he lost a lot of rounds. He didn't have to lose against Santa Cruz. He did it against Barrios. And he did it against Romero, to me. Do I think he could have won more rounds? I do. But I think that he's kind of built this muscle at this point of not being worried about the rounds because he knows he's going to catch up and so to me i think that will put him in danger of losing to shakur strictly because of the muscle that he's built but i don't think that fight happens anyways let's move on timing is key once again because you alluded to it will haney's days at 135 they're numbered we don't know if and when he'll face loma we don't know how many times he'll face loma we don't know what either fighter would do after that saga is over you know, Loma's 34. So we could see a scenario where Haney beats Cambosos in a few weeks here. And we could see a scenario where Haney maybe signs a two fight deal with top Roll. He's already signed to three, but maybe have like a little extension. So there's a rematch clause built into that, that Loma fight. And so we could see a scenario where both fighters are tied up all of 2023, and then we don't know what kind of condition a 36-year-old Loma is going to be in after that. And if that were to happen, we do know Haney will move up to 140 after definitely because he's talking about it now. So to answer that question, I'm just going to say of the realistic options, Haney will have the best choice. But I also don't know how realistic that's going to be because I think Haney is going to move up at some point before he would be able to fight Shakur. Did you guys have anything else in terms of this? I don't
1: think yeah, yeah, those yeah. yeah. I'm it, betting it, on you, Shakur. I'm betting on Shakur for all those fights, they'll be knowing.
0: Yeah, be- I, can't, I can't say right now. But what I will say, I don't see like Devin and Shakur fight anytime soon. Right? There's too many other options. They seem a little too cordial. Um, just to go ahead and make that fight now, as, I, I just don't see it. Because I think that Haney has an agenda where he has the Camboses and possibly Loman, if, if those fights, if he doesn't get the Loman fight, I see him at 140. And then Shakur is going to have a lot of business at 135 to tend to before he ends up, you know, trying to make a fight at 140 if he decides to go up there. You know what I'm saying? So I, I don't even think that that's going to happen, if it does happen anytime soon.
2: Yeah, I would agree. I just kind of said it to answer the question, you know, in terms yeah, of who yeah, had yeah. the best chance. But, yeah, I, I agree. I think he's either going to be moved up or he's going to be tied up with Loma, and then he's going to move up. But the fact that he's currently with top rank uh, lets me know that it's at least somewhat possible for that to happen, even if maybe it was a catch weight. But, but yeah, that's kind of where I was going with yeah, that.
1: 138 catch weight. Stevenson, Haney, make the fight.
2: No, all right, no. no it's, it's some, but anyway,
0: um, we, we're moving on to the next.
1: Somebody O got
2: to go. <laughs> so on ESPN Plus, we had a big heavyweight fight with two of the top contenders to fight Alexander Usyk after this fight. We had Joe Joyce, who was undefeated, speaking of somebody's O, and then we had Joseph Parker, who who challenged him. How did you guys see that fight? What did you guys think of it?
0: I think the, the, the fight fighter of the week was big Joe Joyce. He, Joe Joyce impressed me yesterday, and I'm going to stop picking against him. You know, I think, you know, the obvious is when you see him, especially when he's facing guys who aren't like the top-level guys, he can look, if you just look at the speed of the punches that are coming, then you're like, oh, man, how is he going to be able to beat somebody who's in the top 10? At least that's what I was thinking. But he showed me something yesterday. He has that big George Foreman, like that calmness to him, you know. And it to me, the calmness that he has, it enables him to have good stamina because he's never overexerting himself. He's just being him and doing him inside the ring where he's so big and imposing that his opponent has to do so much to stay away from him because you don't want to get hit by the guy, even though the punches are coming slow. Even if he's hitting you like on your arms where you're blocking it, you still blocking a heavy shot from a gigantic guy, you know, that's in front of you. So he uses that to his advantage and it's going to be hard to make it all 12 against him. And then he takes punches so well, I think that his calmness enables him to have good punch resistance. And then he just, again, they measured his cranium and they said that he has like one of the largest craniums that you can possibly have. And so that 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 helps him absorb some of those heavy shots that come his way. He's going to get touched like against the guys that he's facing. Even yesterday, Parker was able to, to touch him a few times. It was one time Parker just hit him with like three, four left hands in a row to no avail. And then he just took the punch. He just keep coming, chasing for he's ish, you know. And the other thing about Joyce, he's a heavyweight version of Jared Hurd, where he's just so much bigger than a guy's that, and it's about Jared Hurd at his best. And then he just keep coming, keep coming. And eventually some of the shots that he's landing on you, you're not gonna be able to take it from because he is a pretty heavy puncher. It's just the fact that they come slow, slow. But it seems like his um he, he revs up a little bit. Like he, he, he gets a little bit um, going more in the second half of the fight than he does early in the fight. It takes him a while to get warmed up, but also he's, he's kind of um, beat down his opponent enough where they're slowing down a little bit, you know? So anyway, in this fight, you had Joyce, who was the number one contender um, for the vacant WBO interim heavyweight title. So he won that yesterday you know, stopping the organization's number two guy and Joseph Parker with that counter hook in the left, I mean, in the, in the 11th round. That was a thing of beauty. And it was a short, compact shot that he caught Joyce with. It wasn't like he winded up or anything like that. He just caught him flush. It was a shot that it was just real precise. And the juggernaut lived up to his nickname in round six through 11, as he turned a relatively even bout, you know, into a right. And so he, Joyce led 91 to 82 overall and 44 to 16, but he trailed in power shot 66 to 49 after the fifth round. And then he raised his work rate to 67.2 in the first uh, five to 95 in rounds six to 11. And then Parker, he dropped off to like 56 overall um, in that same time span. So, in other words, as a result, Joyce, he led in the entire fight 217 overall punches to Parker's 79. So, like I said, once around six through 11 came, Joyce ended up, up in his ante, and Parker was increasingly getting slower and slower throughout the fight. And it was just a matter of time before he caught him with that shot. Like I said, I was overall impressed with Joe Joyce in this fight. He showed me something, he showed me that. He's going to be tough for anybody in that top 10, um, as far as the heavyweights are concerned, because I don't know if somebody's going to be able to um, crack that cranium. You know what I'm saying? And if they're not, are they going to be able to hold up all 12 rounds against a big, powerful guy that's going to keep coming, keep coming, keep coming? I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Even a guy like, like Fury. See, Fury, a lot of times, he fights guys who he's just way bigger there, and he can kind of manhandle them, and he's quick, and he's elusive, and, you know, he can do a stay, but against Joe Joyce, he's not going to have that advantage in size. Joe Joyce is, is equally as big, and he's he's definitely imposing. I figure Fury would be able to handle him, and Usyk, you know, I think he might be a little bit too quick, you know, even still at this particular stage in his career, but that's going to be a tall order. The last thing I'm going to say, and again, Bill, you know, you say I say that a lot, but this is truly the last thing, is that um, this fight right here is a fight in which he, he earned his stripes. It's, you have certain fights in your career. That's why I'm a proponent of guys taking on stiff opposition, you know, and he was eager to have this fight where a lot of people like myself included, was Like, oh, that might be a little bit, might be the wrong opponent because this is the styles, you know, the way they are. But he won at this fight and he showcased and showed why he was so willing and eager to face it. So, again, certain fights Parker for Joyce was where he, to me he, he's gotten his stamp. So, in, in essence, Parker is like the post office, you know what I mean? He, he's a fighter that you have to go through in order to get that stamp, and that man is stamped right now. And I look forward to seeing who he faces next and how they're going to be able to figure out how to defeat this gigantic guy who's going to be punching and getting stronger and stronger as the fight goes on. So, like I said, the juggernaut, shout out to you. Great win. I was wrong. I won't pick against him again anymore.
2: Yeah, man. You know what's funny? I, I didn't know. So when I did the first prediction that you called us out on last week, Will, (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't have a, a, a tangible, and this is the reason why I, I, I kind of went back on it, to be honest with you. I didn't have a tangible reason to to know why Joyce was going to win. I just, from what I saw, he just always has his way of figuring out how to get it done. And like you said, he, he got his stamp. You know, he got his strike. He He punches in a way where, yeah, it looks slow, but you also it's also hard for fighters to punch back in between those punches, especially like if your head is off, it's not off center and a lot of heavyweight fighters aren't going to have their heads off center. There's only really two I can think of at the elite level that can really do that. That's Fury and Usyk who can really punch with their head off center. Um, he also does a good job with defending the punches coming to him directly, you know? And so I think that's on top of his size is what really, Wears people down. I will say that scoring this round by round was interesting because I thought that Joyce looked more dominant in the majority of the rounds. But at the same time, he was actually getting tagged, but his chin is so good. He just made them look less than what they were. And so he would just eat these punches and continue to walk Parker down. So scoring them, my scorecard had it wider than what my eyes had because it was like, do you want to see someone take shots to keep moving forward or someone land some shots moving backwards, but they're not effective. Obviously it didn't matter at the 11th round, but I thought that Joyce just did a good job of just asserting himself. That's what he does. Like he, he's just that type of fighter that with that calmness, he also has that grit. He has that chin. And if you're not able to withstand that, and if you're not able to get out of the way of those punches or even bother him, he's just going to weigh you down over time. That just was going to happen. I will say this to Joyce's credit. He said he wants Usyk. He said he will fight Fury, but he wants Usyk. If he gets that Usyk fight, he wants that exact style could prove dangerous against Usyk because to an extent, what he does is kind of what we wanted to see from AJ in both of those fights. We wanted to see AJ assert his size over Usyk and really kind of bully him. AJ couldn't do it, but based on what I saw from Joyce last night, Joyce could and Usyk, he gets hurt. You know, you capture the body, he gets hurt. He gets caught by these bigger guys. He's going to get hurt. And so that could actually be a more intriguing match than we've given it credit for in the past.
1: Yeah, it could be a, could be an intriguing match. And, uh, as I'll give Will his credit, we, we've seen a portion of that fight happen before. <laughs> uh, pretty interesting fight. You, you guys can YouTube it, uh, listeners. But, yeah, Joe Joyce, impressive guy. I mean, like, like I said, he, he, he's slow, but he's fast enough to get the job done. And really, it was funny because he was a tad faster in this fight than, he, than I've seen previously. Uh, I know we made jokes. Uh call him Jason Voorhees, but that's kind of what he is. And for our first thought was uh, the Terminator, when I look at how he takes shots and keeps coming, but I think that's inaccurate because the Terminator isn't an accurate shot against moving targets. Joe Joyce is like, whenever he throws those, no matter how slow those shots are, his timing is so good that he can get to where, where those, th- those targets are. And plus, he's, he's throwing a lot of volume too, and he's just wearing... Uh, joseph parker down and and it was, it, the most impressive thing is is joseph parker is, is known as a guy that we, who can rumble he has a strong chin he's been in those fights and he doesn't seem to 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 get worn down and stop like this or get tired like this and the second half of this fight uh Joe Joyce was just wearing him down it was almost like watching margarito and Kodo, even though was, you was know, cheating, but this is like a perfect version of that like where there's no controversy, uh, as we've seen. Uh, and, and Joyce, I mean, he's going to be dangerous going forward because he's one of those guys, and one of the reasons why I think he will be dangerous is he's one of those guys that, that other fighters can even look at and say, mm, I could beat him, I'm faster than him, I'm slicker than him, I could move, I could do this, I could hit him here or whatever and do whatever until they get in the ring with him. And he's doing those subtle things and he's being able, he's catching you. He's catching you on your gloves, on your your body, on your elbows and stuff. And it starts really taking a toll on the second half. So uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, where he goes from here. But, you know, impressive performance by him. I'm not sure if I would bet on Joyce against Usyk, but I will say that he's in that fight. Uh, Anything else you guys want to share?
0: Yeah, it's just when you hit his helmet, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just like when you, th- those punches hit that helmet, they are not doing anything. So, so, and so,
1: you so he said he's a cannon head, cannonball head instead of a bullet head?
0: <laughs> nah, he's, he's Jason, you know, that mask. Jason, he got that the mask. Yeah, oh, like we, that, when
1: Julius was hitting Jason in the head, the, the black dude, Julius.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it was nothing happening. And that's what, yeah, and that's, that's Take the Take your thing. best shot. <laughs> you, you're hitting him with some of the hardest shots that you can throw. And it's like, it's not doing anything. So it's like, for you, it makes it it makes it makes very difficult and it's exhausting mentally. It's like, dang, I got to keep moving away from this dude, even when I hit him. So I think that what a lot of fighters have to think about just going into the fight, don't even expect to hurt him. You know, if it happens, it happens. But if not, then, you know, just keep doing what it is that you're doing in order to try to make it 12 and you know, win a decision that way. If I end up, don't bank on being able to hurt him. Like, oh man, I'm going to catch this dude. Don't even have that as something that's a a possibility. You know what I mean? Even though if it happens, it happens. But he's going to be tough, man. And in an Usyk fight, I don't know. Because they're different now. Like, before he was chasing Usyk around the ring, And like I said, he was a lot quicker back then. And Usyk just took the approach where he was moving, but they didn't fight. There wasn't no 12-round fight. That was about eight, seven, eight rounds, you know, tops. And he doesn't, I don't think Usyk will take that same approach against Joyce this time because he's older. That'll wear him out. he um, may be certain times in a fight where he moves, but Usyk, well, at least against AJ, he sat in there, but those are two different fighters. AJ is somebody that you can't hurt and that you can offset. You know, because he's going to be a little bit hesitant. He's not going to care <laughs> that you hit him. And he's just going to keep coming. So that would be an interesting fight, man. That's a that's a close fight right there at this stage, you know, especially based on what I saw from a, from the old juggernaut. At first, I didn't know why they was calling him a juggernaut. I'm like, this dude was slow as I don't know. He is nothing. He's the opposite of a juggernaut. But he showed me yesterday, round 6 to 11. He upped the ante. And, um, you know, he got a good win.
1: See, Joyce, you made a fan, all right. No, no, no I'm not a fan, I, I a respect, yeah, all right. Yeah, right, I, right. I, all right, yeah, so, I, Joe Joyce, you still got work to do. No, no,
0: no, 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 I respect him, you know what I mean? I'm a fan of the GOAT yesterday we fought, you know, I put on that impressive performance. That's, a, I'm a fan of the GOAT, but, you know, Joyce, he's, he's
1: you know, he's good, he's a good, he's
0: a good fighter.
1: So, uh, <laughs> moving on, so, also, uh, we had some action in the, the, the featherweight division of the women's boxing. I didn't know this was a featherweight fight, you know, because we have a, 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 a uh, I call her the, the the weight chameleon. She moves, you know, across different weight classes and, and she's like the female version of Manny Pacquiao and doing that. kind of like, you know, Henry Armstrong. I call her Amanda Serrano. Uh, she took on Sarah, Mafu. food. Uh, Do you guys see that fight? What are your thoughts on it?
2: I thought that Mafu, she did a good job at the beginning of keeping distance and kind of staying out of range. She was doing a good job as well of going to Serrano's right to avoid the power hand. It's just that when she was doing that, she would kind of like, again, she was staying out of range and she would like step in like halfway to throw like a one-two and then step back out. So she wasn't really throwing much to even really land herself. Um, I thought that while she was doing that, Serrano, she did a good job of using her head movement to get inside. And her offense was forcing my food on the back foot. She ran that first round because of that, the first two rounds, really. Because, you know, food. even when she tried to throw, Serrano's power shots would make, the, would make the most noise. And so she was landing the more effective punches. Now, kind of in those middle rounds, my food she was storing more, but she was kind of moving less. and so then they kind of they kind of got into trading a little bit more. and I thought that that worked to my food's disadvantage because she wasn't moving, she was getting outlanded and then she was kind of looking gas too kind of towards the maybe the fifth sixth round. But then once Serrano took that sixth round kind of off pretty much, that was the first round I gave to my food. She started to land more. Uh, Serrano was just kind of like sitting there and not really doing much with that, besides kind of moving her head. And then the last few rounds were were close. I thought like Serrano, she just her activity wasn't there as much, and I felt that she kind of left it open for my food to kind of take some of those rounds. And she caught Serrano too on several occasions. I don't know if. At the end of fights, if she gets gassed or she loses discipline, but when Serrano lands in those like championship rounds, her punches just aren't as effective. And like her head movement is there, but she gets less defensively responsible. And it was kind of the trend I noticed because that's kind of what happened with her and Katie Taylor. She was getting off in those first few rounds. She almost got Taylor out of there. And then uh, she settles in more and does less. The difference between that is just like my food just wasn't able to capitalize where Taylor was. And then my food was also too far behind, also, for it to really make that big of a difference. I personally scored at 98 92 in Serrano's favor. I could have seen it a little less wide, but I thought it was clear that she won this. I thought she would. And, you know, it wasn't the greatest win that I've ever seen from her but it was a win and now she has almost all of the major belts in the division I can see her fighting I think Erica Cruz has the last one I can see her fighting to become undisputed at that division next uh, that's all I got though
1: yeah I can't even keep up with what weight class Serrano was even in and what which belts in weight class that she has it's, I think the Kay Taylor fight it might, what was that lightweight so now she's at featherweight uh, and this is for Sarah Mafood's uh, IBF title, but it, it went similar to how I thought. I, I did think that Mahfoud's uh, movement, a little bit of skill, and the way she jabs would keep her in the fight, keep her from getting stopped. Uh, she just, like you said, Danny, she couldn't capitalize on hitting Serrano in the second half, you know, between those shots like Kate Taylor is, because Taylor is just, a, you know, top-tier talent, even though she was hurting that fight. Plus, she has... Katie Taylor had tangibles that not every fighter just has. So that, that's key against someone like Amanda Serrano, where Serrano, she can just overwhelm you. Even if she's not going to stop you, she's just overwhelming you to a point where you just like, your main focus is just finishing that fight. And Mafu's focus was kind of like, okay, let me stay in this fight, try to win, but I'm going to finish it. I'm not going to get stopped. Uh, so it was a good win from Amanda Serrano. Hopefully... We see Serrano, uh, Katie Taylor, part two, Part two.:
0: Yeah, I didn't like what I saw yesterday. It's just you know, I had the, like I said, the, the shining life of me yesterday was uh, or over the weekend was the juggernaut. I, I didn't like when uh, Stevenson didn't make weight, but like I said, he made up for it because of his excuse that he he had you know sounded legitimate, but then I didn't like Serrano, and, and I'm going to tell you why i didn't even like how she came out you know she came out looking all happy and go lucky when they were you know she was entering the ring in the ring entrance you know they were showing her she was all smiley and bubbly i was like come on man with, with these uk people like they like it just seem like some people get around them uk people and they just get overwhelmed they be so gleeful you know what i'm saying i ain't like that you, you're a power puncher you want to go up in there and you want to put some serious hurt on this 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 young lady. You know, it just looked like she just wasn't in the space early to be the, the like she would want to put some serious hurt just based on her appearance. So I not I didn't like that out the gate. And for the most part, I thought that this fight was kind of one that if you saw like round one that you saw round 10, with the exception of Mafu, she began to have more success. I thought that um, and, and and then the other thing is that Serrano she stalked my food the whole fight, and my food she never got hurt, but she did have some good moments, you know, from time to time, especially in the latter part of the fight. In which you talked about, Danny, and I thought that she had made she probably did win those last two rounds, and probably the sixth round um, that she won. But it was just the same action over and over. I was just wanting to see Serrano like, step it up a little bit more. Maybe she's incapable of doing that. Maybe that's something that she, you know, uh, a blind spot that she has in her, um, her her fighting game, where it's just once that second half of the fight, she just kind of tapers off. I don't know. I just thought by the time they made it to the sixth round, if she had it in her to step it up a little bit more, then I thought that she would be able to get my food out of there. But like I said, I just didn't like her energy from the start, because sometimes she would land some like some serious heavy body shots. She might catch her, you know, from time to time, you know, with some good shots. But my food was doing a good job of like moving around and backing up. But I just I was expecting more from Serrano, um, and like I said, I think she may have gotten tired, you know, just chasing my food, or she was just content on coasting to a victory, you know. I don't know, but one thing's for sure. Um, I don't, like I, said, I don't know if she got tired, but what I what what one thing is for sure is that I got tired of watching the same thing over and over because I was wanting to see Serrano make some adjustments. And um, she did. not She just kind of tapered off and coasted to a 10 round victory. My food just didn't have enough firepower to mount a serious rally. You know what I'm saying? But she did show a, a pretty. Impressive uh, performance for her, being the fact that this is the toughest fight or fighter that she's faced in her career. Um, but the last thing I want to say is this: as far as this is concerned, is that if they fight um, in the UK, I think Katie Taylor is going to be there again, and, and mainly because I don't think that Serrano is going to be able to do anything different that she did before, and then also I don't think that she's going to be able to overcome her surroundings to be able to compete with Taylor. In her own backyard so you take in the fact that the fight was close before it was in new york i think in new york so you had a lot of people you know with that battery in her back fighting around all of those barriquas or whatever they want to call them you know that she had you know a little bit more of a vested interest in performing you know in her backyard but if you you place those same two fighters over there in um katie taylor's backyard i don't think that she has it um, to be able to defeat her. And I think that if they do fight again, I'll put some money on, on, on what they call her simply the best. Anything that anything else you guys have before we wrap things up? Man, y'all go ahead and close this bad boy out. I'm about to go ahead and crack this brew, man. Something hey, right I that. got I, hey.
2: all right, Stone Cold, Steve Austin. Hey,
1: you got two hey, quick I'm smashing together. <laughs>
2: A quick question for you, Will. Was you able – I know we kind of joked about it last week. Did your nap time interfere with Keyshawn fighter? or was you able to catch him?
0: I saw Keyshawn, and, and I'm glad that you mentioned him. Um, so, yeah, what I did was I came home. Normally what I do is I hit my little joint right after work. But what I did was I came home and took a mean nap. You know, I don't know what constitutes a nap. I don't know if it's 30 minutes. If it's 30 minutes then I went to sleep <laughs> because I, got, I went to sleep for about four hours. So I got up around eight, I went up to my joint, and then I came back and I watched uh, the rest of the action that was on. I thought that,
1: what did you guys think
0: about Keyshawn in that fight?
1: I definitely liked his performance. I was impressed with him. Uh, definitely a, a sharp fighter, one to look, look for. I'm surprised that, you know, he's he's definitely, you know, being moved uh, cordially, but he's getting a lot of expo- exposure you know probably do his relationship with stevenson which is a good thing and i think you know good head on shoulders i'm excited and see to see where he goes from here i just hope that he doesn't get moved too fast where he gets ruined or anything yeah
2: that's where i'm at with it um i won't hold you too long but i thought that he looked really good i thought that i I think that to your point vel top rank is trying to like gradually bring him along but he's looking so good against these guys. He's dem- His performance is demanding more from the fans because they're kind of tired of seeing him watch these guys. And so, yeah, I, I do hope they continue to tread lightly with that. I don't think he's going to be in a situation like uh, Berlanga or anything because, you know, he's not winning the same way that Berlanga was winning, but I hope that he just doesn't get caught in, into that. But I, I like what I'm saying. I like his attitude, man. That dude, me, he's nice. But as soon as he seven that ring, it don't even matter. You know, like even when he knocked him down and he was like, you know, he kind of like still the ref had to hold him back because he still wanted to do more damage to the guy. It looked like, I mean, he didn't really, but, you know, just that imposing presence that he has. Uh, I like everything that I see from him. I just had to shut him out because, you know, 757, you know what I mean? You no, know, that's what's up,
0: man, you, you, as you should, you know. Only other thing that I, I, I'll add in. I thought that he looked good based on what I saw. You know, I thought he looked a little more human. Not that he he was looking bad or anything like that, but he looked because like the guys that they haven't facing before, he just looked way too like even when you see them like physically against the guys that he was facing before, you're like, God, dog, like this is not this a mismatch already, even before they throw a punch. But like I said, he just looked more human to me the other day than he had before. But it was an impressive performance by a young up and coming guy. Um, the last thing I'm gonna ask, man, did y'all get a chance to go. You know he was out there throwing them haymakers. He knocked knocked uh, a suker out. Whatever the guy' name was from Japan.
1: Exactly. Whatever the guy. I didn't see that. No. You
0: know what I mean? You need I, to go ahead and check check out the goat, man.
2: I saw I saw about two TikToks of it. That's all it took, right? Because <laughs> about a second round he was out of there. So yeah, I basically saw the fight.
0: Yeah, that's all you need to see with the goat. You know what I mean? Shout out to Floyd Money Mayweather you know, number one pound-for-pound pound fighter of all the time. You know what they call him, uh, TBE? Sugar <laughs> you know Ray
1: saying? Robinson. Sugar Ray Robinson. I don't know. You know what I'm saying?
0: Hey, <laughs> <Ray> Sugar <laughs> Ray Robinson. Or Harry Armstrong. He the best fighter I've seen. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, I'm Sugar talking Ray about Ray. like, I don't know. Sugar Ray, you know, I saw him at certain times getting some paws put on him a little bit. You know what I mean? Hector Camacho fight coming to mind. You know what I'm saying? You know, Floyd never let allowed himself to get to that situation where he was Getting paws put on him like that. Boy, so.
1: never beat a Tommy Hearns, neither.
0: He, he beat Diego Corrales. <laughs> you Diego know what I'm Corrales said, is was, not a Tommy Hearns. He never was, never was close to it. He beat Oscar De La Hoya. De La Hoya was quarter. not necessarily <laughs> you Tommy You understand what I'm saying? He was beat, Tommy Hearns. Who, 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 hey, hey, uh, Danny. He never, never beat a Marvin
1: Hagler, neither.
0: Okay. So it's Marvin Hagler or, or so Tommy Hearns. Was Tommy Hearns ever the number one pound for pound fighter like three years in a row?
1: No, because Sheree Leonard or no? Sheree Leonard stopped, I, 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 yes, sir, no. So, stopped so, no,
0: he wasn't. But at, the, at, the time he beat, at the time he at beat... 36 years old, beat Canelo Alvarez, who went on to be the number one pound-for-pound fighter not,
1: three years in a row. Okay, he beat you Hagler. Marvin Hagler was. We, it was, was. No, Marvin Hagler show. was. Marvin Hagler mm-hmm. was pound-for-pound number one at yeah, the time that Sheree
0: Leonard beat him. Marvin Hagler was old as ducks. No, You He understand was not the like,
1: same age.
0: Nah, he, the he was wear not and tear. old.
1: Marvin Hagler was not
0: old. The wear and tear on Marvin Hagler. No, no, don't try to take that away. He was, slow. Away from, he was nah, the, the, Why everybody it. bet
1: against He's Why going. everybody was betting the 126. The
0: 154. That man went and he did what he had to do. He's the GOAT, the highest paid, the cleanest, the oh, baddest. Sugar Baddest 80. man. Bit went on to beat Manny Pacquiao, the other person that they said was the number one oh. powerful power fighter in the world. Come on, man. Like, don't hate on me. Go.
1: Hey, but go, anyway, go, go, go look up videos of Sugar Ray Robinson and get back to me. I tell my no, listeners.
0: That. I said the best fighter that I've seen. That's why I've seen with
1: Sugar Ray Leonard. And I wasn't even oh. a Leonard fan. So that's your opinion, sir? That's I'm not. Yeah, that's okay. that.
0: yeah, that's, that's all go. I'm saying. See, that, that's, that's where the hate come in, Daddy. You know what I'm saying? Uh, like, it's like hard. this. It's, it's like what this dude told me earlier. I, we were talking about hip hop music and he was, I was saying that if I had an argument about the newer guys, most of the top tier guys, I said that to me, that they sound similar with their flow. He told me that, no, they don't have, um, they don't sound the same, they're riding a the beat or whatever. How can you tell me what I hear, sir? <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? That's your opinion. Don't tell me as far as my opinion that I'm wrong about my opinion.
1: Oh, yeah. Shout, out, out, to L, shout out to LL for it, defending hip-hop right here. Yeah, I'm that's what, what I'm saying. To that's that's where the hate
0: come in at. But you folks have a good day. I'm going to sip on this brew. I'm going to watch the Buffalo Bills get whooped by the Miami Dolphins. And we out. Peace. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>